Our Western world is suffering from the hunger of spirit. We need God and the nourishment of the soul. And the rest of the world is suffering from hunger of the stomach. They are ill-fed. They are poor. The theme of the Congress, therefore, will be on that subject, hunger. Hunger for the Eucharist to nourish our spirit and hunger of the poor whom we must need. Now I will talk about the first, the hunger of the spirit, which is the Eucharist. Now the Eucharist, as you know, means thanksgiving. In the Vatican Council, there were four kinds of presences mentioned. That is to say, four ways in which God is eminently present in this world. First, in the Mass, and especially in the Eucharistic species. That is, in the Blessed Sacrament of the Tabernacle. Secondly, in the words of sacred scripture. At the Vatican Council every morning, we used to bring in the scriptures in solemn procession and then throw them on the altar as one of the forms of the presence of God. The third form of the presence of God is in the poor. For our Lord said that when he would come to judge the nations of the world, he would say to some, I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. And they will say, well, when did we see you hungry and give you to eat? When thirsty to drink, and when naked did we clothe thee? He will say, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Christ, in other words, is in the poor. And the fourth presence of our blessed Lord is in our common prayer. As our blessed Lord said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Now, not all of these presences are equal. The most intimate presence of all is in the Holy Eucharist, which is both a sacrifice and a sacrament. Now, let me tell you about the Eucharist as a Mass. You often attend Mass. You attend it every summer, Sunday, sometimes perhaps every day. You know what the Mass is? It's the reenactment of Calvary. That's what it is. Suppose you lived in the, in the heyday of Grecian drama, four or five centuries before Christ, and you saw a great play that purged your soul, which is the purpose of drama. And when you came out, you would say, what a pity. This drama is shown only once. Everyone in the world should see it. And so with the great drama of Calvary. 
Wouldn't it be a pity if the only ones who could know that drama were those who were at the foot of the cross? And so our Lord took means to provide for the continuation of his death. And he did it in the Mass. Now this is how he does it. He dies again. It's not a bloody death as it was on Calvary, no. But he reenacts his death this way. The priest does not consecrate the bread and wine together. He does not say, this is my body and my blood. That would be life. But first the priest over the bread will say, this is my body. body of Christ and then separately this is my blood that separate consecration of the bread and wine is like a mystical sword tearing and rending apart blood from body which is the way that Christ died so when we assist at the sacrifice of the Mass, we die with Christ. We apply the merits of his death to us in order that we may be assured of his resurrection. That's the Mass very briefly. Now we come to the sacrament. You see, every sacrifice has a sacrament. Now at your next meal, you may have meat, you may have vegetables, and you may have fruit. Each of these will be the sacrament of your body. They will nourish you, feed you. But before they became a sacrament to give you life, they had to die. The animal had to be subjected to the knife, shed his blood. The vegetables, vegetables were plucked up from the earth, subjected to fire. Fruit plucked from a tree. So that in nature there is always first a sacrifice and then a sacrament. And the sacrament is life. Now, the sacramental side of the Eucharist is manifested not only in receiving Holy Communion, but also in the presence of our Lord in the tabernacle. And that is what I want to stress now. When you enter a church, you are entering the house of God. If you had lived at the time of our blessed Lord, you would have seen only a human being, a man like the rest of men. But if you had faith, your eyes would have pierced that flesh and you would have seen divinity. When you enter a church and look at the tabernacle, your eyes pierce the bread, the species of the Eucharist, and you see and perceive there the divinity of Christ.
This is the closest that we will ever get to our Lord in this earth. Some years ago, I had gone to Paris to preach. And I was staying at a very small hotel in the center of Paris. And in a little parlor nearby, there was a, an Englishman playing the piano. He was not playing the piano well. But when he finished, I asked him if he wanted to go to dinner. He said, well, I've never been with a priest before in my life. I said, well, we're just like anyone else. If you stick me with a pin, I will jump too. So we went out to a little restaurant. And in the course of the dinner, he said, do you ever have moral questions to answer? He said, I have never met in my life one good man or one good woman. I thanked him for the compliment, and then he went on. He said, over there at that corner, this coming 11th of February, there was a woman trying to break a lump of sugar in a cup of coffee. She was unable to do it. I broke it for her. She told me how mean her husband was to her. And so I said, well, come and live with me. So she's been with me now almost a year. Well, I get tired of them all after a year. So this morning, I bundled up all of her clothes. And I left them at the concierge, superintendent of the building. And she anticipated my move and left a note. And this is it. And it read, Dear puppy, if you refuse to live with me until our coming anniversary, the 11th of February, I shall commit suicide by throwing myself into the Seine. He said, may I permit her to do that? And I said, no, you may not do evil that good can, may come from it. And secondly, she will not commit suicide. It was then about midnight. He said, I will take you home. I said, I'm not going back to the hotel. I'm going to Montmartre. He said, I was just beginning to think that you were all right. And now you're going to that terrible hellhole of Montmartre. Well, I said, there's something else there besides dives. On that hill of Montmartre is the great basilica to the Sacred Heart. And every single night for a hundred years, a thousand men spend the night in prayer. Come with me. Be convinced that there are good people, and good men and women in the world. We got up to Montmartre. After midnight, he said he had no faith whatever. He said, what shall I do? What will I kneel, stand? How long? Well, I said, I intend to stay until the sun comes up over Paris tomorrow.
He made no move to go. Neither did I. I read Mass, and as we walked down the hill of Montmartre, he said to me, stay in Paris. Teach me to be good. Which I did. That was the presence of the Eucharist on his soul. Just as there is a cosmic radiation, there is a Eucharistic radiation from a tabernacle. I have instructed many people, and when they've had doubts about religion, I have asked them to go before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Just sit there. Just as they would go to Miami to be in the sun. So they can go to the tabernacle to be in the presence of the Eucharistic Lord. Now another instance of what it does, and I give you these stories to encourage you to make visits to the Blessed Sacrament. How many of you, when you leave school and pass the church, ever go in to visit our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament? This particular morning, I opened the church doors of St. Patrick's Soho Square, London. A limp figure fell in. It was that of a young woman, about 25. I said, how did you happen to be here? She said, where am I, Father? I said, oh, Father, yes. She said, I used to be a Catholic, but not anymore. Were you drunk? Yes. Well, I said, men drink because they like the stuff. Women drink because they don't like something else. What were you running from? She said, three men. I was involved with them all, and they were beginning to find out it out. So I got drunk. I didn't know I was here. I asked her her name pointing to a billboard across the street on the wall of the Cross from Blackwell Jam office. I said, is that your picture over there? Yes, she said, I'm leading lady in that musical comedy. Made her a cup of coffee, for she was frozen from the all-night exposure to the London fog. It was the month of February. And I asked her to come back and thank me after matinee, before matinee. She said, I will on one condition. She said, don't ask me to go to confession. I said, very well, I will not. She said, I want you to promise me faithfully that you will not ask me to go to confession. I said, I promise you faithfully not to ask you to go to confession. She came back that afternoon before matinee. I said, we have a Rembrandt and a Van Dyke painting in this church. Would you like to see them? As we walked down the side aisle of the church, we passed the confessional, and I pushed her in. I didn't ask her to go. I kept my promise. I told her I wouldn't ask her. 
You know what she does now? She's a sister in the convent of perpetual adoration in London. And every single night, she is there from nine o'clock until five, before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, praying for sinners. That is how real the Eucharistic presence is to her. But now a word about the continuation of the Eucharistic presence in the poor of the world. I saw Mother Teresa. I hope you know Mother Teresa. She's the greatest woman in the world. No, she's not in movies. She established 52 houses for the destitute people of the world. She has dragged off the streets of Calcutta 25,000 people, 16,000 died in her arms. I said to her, Mother Teresa, if you drag these people out of the gutters, hungry and dying, and they have no religion except possibly one of the religions of India, how do you convert them? Well, she said, Generally, I say to them, would you like to commend yourself to Christ who died for our sins? And they say, who is Christ? Is he like you? She said, no, but I try to be like him. And that has inspired thousands to die in her arms. And on a television show, someone said to her, Sister, these people are half dead when you pick them up. They're full of sores and scum and dirt. Why is it that you're able to bring the fullness of your love to them? She said, it's because I see in them the prolongation of the body of Christ in the Eucharist. That's the secret. Christ brought his, he came to this earth, he took upon himself a human body. That body stood for all humanity. So that every human being in the world is related in some way, either knowingly or unworthy, unworthily even, to him. Our blessed Lord may not be in their sins, but our Lord is in their poverty. And in answer to this question of an interviewer, she said, so I spend an hour every morning before I go out to take care of the poor. 
I spend it with the Eucharistic Lord in the tabernacle. So she said, it's very easy for me to see the extension of that body of Christ who was crucified on the cross, to see him re-crucified in the people whom I pick up on the streets. And that's why I love them. As a matter of fact, we have a tremendous amount of social work being done in this city and every city of the world. But they're seen as unfortunate. They're seen as part of a social problem. If we understand the Eucharist problem, they are not just a social problem. And when a person has become accustomed for an hour a day, say, to see Christ through the species of the Eucharist, he later on will become accustomed to see Christ through the torn and bleeding and hungry bodies of the poor. This is what gives vision. That's why she said, I'm not doing social service. Because she's serving Christ in these poor. I had that lesson driven home to me. I visited colony of lepers in Baluba, Africa. And I brought each of them a silver crucifix about two inches high. And the first one who came out to see me had his left arm eaten away by leprosy. He had a rosary around the stump of the arm. He held out his right hand, the most foul, fetid, noisome mass of corruption I ever saw. And I held the crucifix above it and I dropped it. And was swallowed up in that volcano of leprosy. Then I realized what a terrible thing I had done. For I'd taken that symbol of God's identification with man and refused to identify myself with someone who was a thousand times better on the inside than I. Then there came over me the awful thing that I had done, and then I dug my fingers into his hands, pulled out the crucifix, and then pressed it to his hands. And from that moment on began to love him. And from then on, I lost all fear of ever touching a leper. It was the continuation of the Eucharist. The, it was the bleeding hand of Christ that was out there. Or maybe his torn feet. Or maybe it was his riven side. The Lord has blessed me as he's blessed very few. He's given me tremendous audiences all over the world. And the power to touch them. Is it anything of mine? No. That would be ridiculous. St. Paul said, what have you that you have not received? 
And if you have received, why do you glory as if you had not? Do you want to know the secret of my power? Every single day since I have been ordained, I have spent one continuous hour in the presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. That's where I got power. That's where I got light. That's where I discovered the joys and beauties of my priesthood. And their vocations hidden in you. And they could be lighted and sparked by that divine presence. I tell you, it's the sweetest and greatest association in the world. Try it. Bye, and God love you.